Hey, welcome back to the Female Founder World Podcast. It's Jasmine. I am the host of the show. I'm the creator of all things Female Founder World online and IRL. And today I'm chatting with Stephanie Lee. She is a beauty brand founder and the creator of a business called Self Made. And I just feel like in beauty right now, there is so much sameness. I'm seeing a lot of it's just hard to cut through. Like it's a really, really noisy space. And when I see someone doing something really interesting and different, I want to talk to them. And Stephanie's basically pioneering this space called psychodermatology. And it's all about how the nervous system intersects with your skin and your mental health. It's super, super interesting. So we talk about that, but she's also somebody who's very upfront and vocal about the fact that she started a business without, you know, any celebrity friends. She didn't know a bunch of investors and she bootstrapped her way to get enough traction to then go on to raise one and a half million dollars for the business. And I have always just wondered like, how does, how does somebody go from working a normal job to raising a million dollars for their brand? Like how? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And I just wanted to ask her like, how do you do that? And she, she walks us through the process and how she got that traction and what she had to prove out. And if you are listening to this episode and you want to learn more from Stephanie or you're just like, Jasmine, ask her this question. And I didn't, you actually have the opportunity to speak to Stephanie in a really intimate group coaching call. We have it coming up on the 25th of May for our business bestie members. There is a link in the show notes where you can find out more about joining that session. And I just, I know that it's really hard to find mentors in this space and the people that you want to mentor you are super busy and like thousands of other people want them to mentor them as well. And so we do these kind of group calls so that we can kind of scale that mentorship, but still keep kind of the intimacy of a video call. So I would love to see you there. If you are a business bestie member, it's going to be a great session. Okay, let's get into the episode. You are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Stephanie, welcome to Female Founder World. It's so good to have you on the show. I'm so excited to be here. I've been following your work for quite some time now. Okay, love to hear that. All right, so <laughs> for people who don't know Self Made, what are you guys doing? What are you building over there? Yeah, so it's a pretty interesting business where we are trying to seamlessly connect mental health with beauty and personal care. So we do that through the vehicle of psychodermatology. So we create everyday. Uh, Gen Z products with mental health experts at the intersection of our mind and body. Um, and yeah, so we've launched four products to date and we are excited to continue this conversation as psychodermatology and our mental health become bigger and bigger. I think what first drew me to what you guys were doing, I, I don't even know where I first saw you, probably on Instagram, but it was just like the branding. It was very cool. It really stood out. I feel like you were one of the first brands to really understand this kind of like new Gen Z aesthetic and you were kind of like the first to kind of tap into that. Um, I, I don't want to ask you specifically about branding yet. I want to kind of like talk about the early days and the launch, but I just wanted to call that out because I think it helps people understand who you are, what you're building and the fact that like you are very like cool and relevant and Gen Z and like there, there's like a real vibe behind what you're creating. Yeah, I appreciate that because even in the early days when it was just like me, my idea in my head, 
was like, I need to get this out of my head. I don't know how to, and I didn't go to mm-hmm. business school. And, you know, we were kind of tar- talking a little bit earlier. I was, you know, a person that was like, I have an idea and I want to put it out yeah. in the world. So the first thing I did was find a creative person who is like a zenial. So between millennial Gen Z, mm-hmm. and they're actually from the record label industry. And so, you know, when you're talking about emotion and all that stuff, one of the best places is music, right? And so rather than going to like typical consumer beauty, you know, agency, I went to a person that really could understand and spend time with me in order to get it out of my head. Yeah. I love that. And also often a lot less expensive to go with an individual and be able to like find that talent rather than like going to an agency and just the fees are wild. Oh, absolutely. Cause I'm definitely a bootstrapped kind of not venture back. So it was very mm-hmm. much like homegrown from the heart situation. Love that. Okay. So what were you doing? Like, where were you at in your life when this idea came to you? You said, you know, it was in your, living in your head for a while before you got it out into the world. Talk me through that process of like forming the idea. Well, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always thought about, I, I mean, I like, even in high school, I started my own little business, you know? So it's always been a part of me, but I think society and like the fact that my parents are immigrants, refugees, they're like, find a stable job, make yeah. money, climb the whole thing. And so I was at the White House. I went to um, one of the big top three beauty companies, working in that corporate life, grinding a nine to five. And I was kind of like stuck in that, like, need to get a salary, need to have health insurance. So the yeah. first thing was like, I have this idea. I think I want to do this, but I'm so scared, right? So doing the work to kind of like unlearn those pieces. And then really where it came down to is that I had a mental health crisis in 2015. And as a person of color, woman, you know, people weren't talking about mental health as they were today. And I had no tools, no community, no resources, no conversations around mental health. And so I devoted myself to going to therapy sometimes three to four times a week. And Mm -hmm. for me there, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe there's these incredible like psychological things that have existed for years upon years upon years that are patterns. And we haven't learned about them. We haven't learned about our attachment style. We haven't learned about how to tap into our emotional resilience or what true intimacy actually is. So for me, my brain started around rather than just beauty, because I had been living that life for such a long time. It actually was around how do we find a different vehicle to meet people where they are with these lessons and make, uh, make it a livable lifestyle, you know, beyond the four walls of therapy. So I guess for me, it was almost like, a kind of like a couple ideas that started to tumble together. And I remember speaking to one of my advisors and I was like, I really also want to travel the world. I have about 20 grand that I've saved up. So do I travel the world or I start this business? And he was like, well, there's something to be said about traveling the world, getting distance and taking off the filter of every day. Cause you never know how much more creative that idea comes out to be. And so I think one of the first steps in the early days was just to like leave the corporate grind because it really is very narrow, you know, like yeah. very tiny, you know, um, vantage point. And I traveled the world for about a year and I spoke to people across the world about mental health and self-worth and, you know, what are their practices and routines of like how they get back into their bodies. And I came back in 2019 to start the business. And there, you know, we were saying like a lot of the steps to starting a business are so opaque. You can't Google it. Right. And so a lot of it was talking to folks kind of like you or friends who were connecting me with other folks and like really finding entrepreneurs in innovative spaces to even figure out what are those first few baby steps. So that's kind of what it looked like. It was just a lot of talking and a lot of vulnerability, basically. 
What you just said before about like always wanting to be an entrepreneur and then, you know, working corporate life and how that is, it just feels really narrow. Like that really resonates with me. I'm definitely someone who always wanted to have a business. Like I did not care what it was. I just always, I just knew that that was like the creative output I wanted to put into the world. And I have tried so many things before I got to this one. And when I was working in, um, in media and like there were elements of it that I really loved. I loved like the creative output and having like that digital product out in the world every day, something new and always being, you know, on the, on the verge of like spotting trends and news and being the first person to know about stuff, which I think like lends itself to what I'm doing now. But um, yeah, but like when I was in that job, I didn't necessarily know like what the business was. I was just like, this is not it. I just need to find a way to make money that is out of this like narrow structure of the nine to five. And then I know that eventually it'll lead me down the path to like whatever the thing is, because I can't like, I've got blinkers on, like I can't, I can't see out and I can't, I'm not going to get where I want to go if I'm like staying in this, in this space. So like, I do think there is something for just like, okay, just find the way that you can make the money where to be self-employed, to give yourself like the distance, the space, the connections, the experience to be able to like find like what that business is that you want to build. Absolutely. And like corporations, and I say this to young people all the time, wait, that made me sound really old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> but like, you know, young people in the sense that I was just at University what is of Michigan. So, hold on. I need to know like, what is, I also say young people and I'm like, what is the age that you get to when all of a sudden like, People are young people and it's not you. Like, I think did that happen? Like, I think it was like 34, 35. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit. I was like, I actually, I don't even know if the you youth. know this. but it, the, Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm kind of scared of the youth, but inspired by the youth. So it's a yeah, little bit yeah, of yeah. a weird relationship. Um, but, you know, something that I say to them is that, like, corporate structures are made to serve a bottom line and the people at the top, right? And so therefore, they're like fall in line. There isn't space to be innovative. There isn't space to be creative because they just want you to be a cog in the whole system. And so it limits our ability to think. So you literally have to like punch your way out and Mm -hmm. like know that even though it's scary on the other side of like uncertainty and taking a bet on yourself, that like, what would you rather do? Take a bet on yourself or the person at the top who's like a jillionaire because of, you know, family money or some sort of privilege, right? And so, yeah, it is way scarier, but I mean, I'm sure that you feel this. It is way more fulfilling from a personal standpoint than it is to just be doing work and giving someone else your A+. Totally. And like, you know what? I have a lot of, running a business is, is stressful and there is there is definitely an element of like fear but nothing compares to the stress and anxiety that I felt when I wasn't building it. And I knew that I wanted to be doing something. And it's just like weighing up those two things. Like there's going to be, there's going to be a negative emotion in there somewhere that you have to kind of like face and deal with. But the harder one for me was like not doing it. Absolutely. And also knowing that like there are ups and downs, like that is just what life is. And it is scary because like, if you're not feeling that fear, that means you're not doing something new. Mm -hmm. Period. Yeah, totally. Um, Something that you said before about having this like bigger mission and having a physical product as the vehicle for that mission. 
is something that I think a lot of people are inspired by. I think a lot of women and particularly that I speak with are building businesses that are not, and they consumer product businesses are like very authentically tied to a deeper mission. You know, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of big corporations now are trying to like tap in totally. and it feels very like, I'm like, I see what you're doing, but I, I do see women building these like really authentic, genuine consumer products that for them, it is really like a talisman of some sort that's connecting to something deeper. And I have tried to do that before and failed. Like I had a, a company um, where we were making these ceramic like travel cups. They were like, I was seeing them kind of like popping off in Australia and I was like, oh, I can like, I can do this in the US. And I found, worked with an organization to like get them ethically made. And we were employing women in developing countries and uh, we were uh, giving back money to like educate women. Um, And it was, it was, you know, it was like this mission and it was also like a sustainable thing. And I was like, this for me is about female entrepreneurship and education and opportunity and all of this stuff. And like, I just couldn't make that connect in a physical product. And, you know, now I've got a media business where I can literally say what I mean rather yep. than having to kind of like manifest it in, into a physical product. And it's like really roundabout way of just asking you, like, how do you infuse those two things? Because it is really, I've tried to do it and it is hard. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. Even to the fact that I, it's, because we live in this capitalistic world. And, you know, mm. I, like I mentioned before, I'm not um, BC backed or anything like that. You know, I have talked to funds where they're like, I believe in doing social good and all that good stuff. And I believe in mental mm. health, but what makes you think that you can be venture backed, right? The world thinks so binary or siloed, right? You you either do good or you make a lot of money, right? And so, yeah. and that's bullshit. And so essentially, you know, with self-made, it's a bit of an experiment. Can you do good and make it lucrative and appealing to do that, right? From that respect. But you're absolutely right. It is extremely hard to do that, um, especially in this world. And so infusing those two things. Number one, when I started the brand, I um, started it with two mental health experts as advisors. And even before then, what I did is I uh, actually spoke to about 20, 25 mental health uh, practitioners because I was like, here's my idea if it doesn't make impact on the world or positive change and incremental steps, then there's no point. And so when I validated it with them, you know, first of all, they loved it. They thought it was so delightful because there has never been uh, a way to bring what happens in those four walls of therapy where you're like broken or whatever it might be into what is a lifestyle and much more tangible, you know, like you were talking about, like these are everyday products and t- like yeah. talismans, like they sit on your vanity, they sit in your shower, on your nightstand. And that is a very powerful thing. If you can get someone to put a dollar down, then that's really an important um, like behavior that you can ca- obviously capitalize, but then you have that person, right? Mm. And so another piece that I did was really have the mindset that, you know, consumers are our stakeholders. They're not but even the word consumer, like consuming, right? We're like more than that. We're humans. We're stakeholders. That means the folks that I'm speaking to and serving are have a stake in what we're doing, what we're building together. And so when I think about that, you know, in the in that light, you know, consumers vote with their dollar, right? And that is a very important thing for businesses today to know is that when they're putting that dollar down, it's because they believe in it or they believe in what it stands for and they want to be a part of that. And I want to welcome those folks who want to be a part of it. The third piece is that there is an avenue to be a part of this. We started Mm -hmm. this brand with a junior advisory board prior to even launching. And this is a board of folks in our target demographic, Gen Z, unbucketable women who love 
you know, beauty and fashion, but also work in refugee policy or, um, for instance, we have someone who works as a policy director at March for Our Lives and gun. Yeah, you know, like gun you control. can do both of those things. You, you know? yes, I mean, we beauty are. and you can. Yeah, two things can <laughs> yeah. exist. Those two <laughs> things can absolutely exist, and they should. And we're multidimensional people, and mm-hmm. so we should be treated as such. And so, <clears throat> knowing that, we uh, uh, recruited folks who are mental health activists and beauty enthusiasts. And this is a year-long program where they actually advise me and the business tone of voice, packaging, product. Uh, formulas, you know, even like keep their eyes out for like what might not feel right. You know, um, for instance, our true grit has a scent that's inspired by Palo Santo. Palo Santo has been over harvested. So therefore, you know, there is some sustainability issues around it. And so one of the young people, oh my God, I said it again. One of the folks on the junior advisory board (laughs) said like, hey, red flag. And so we were able to work on that messaging of the fact that it's not actually Palo Santo, but inspired by and what that means and how can we make that much more tangible of a conversation rather than just like dismissing it. So again, these folks are with us building the business, whereas they're not standing on a college campus handing out Red Bulls as ambassadors, right? They're actively a part of this. And so I think those three things kind of add up to a triangulation of how we've kept this as seamless as possible doing good because the fact is I don't fucking know what I'm doing. I'm yeah. literally talking to people who are the experts in their area and really trying to build bridges here. Okay. So what actual products do you have out in the world now? You said that you've got four. What are they, you know, like, and how do they speak to your mission? Yeah. So we have secure attachment comfort serum and it, that one is our best selling um, secure attachment embodies um, attachment styles. And so our relationship with ourself and our earliest caregivers are the template for every relationship forth. And so it actually has a um, active ingredient that ap- ha- helps to lower your cortisol levels within your skin cell cells. Mm-hmm. So when you are insecurely attached, you're waiting for that crush to call, you're going through a breakup, maybe your parents are going through a divorce, that insecurity also heightens your anxiety as a stress response. And that stress response, especially in this modern world of cortisol flooding, um, is chronic, you know, and so it has an effect on our skin. So therefore, whether it's dryness or our moisture barrier weakening, acne, uh, flaking, all of those things, like our minds and our bodies are so intrinsically connected from the moment that we are a little embryo. Our skin and our nervous system come from the same layer called the ectoderm. And so the fact is our Western society treats it very siloed. Like you go to a hand doctor, you go to a dermatologist Mm -hmm. for your skin. Whereas, you know, Eastern um, medicine and Eastern holistic uh, approaches have always thought about it as a holistic connected being. And so by using our skin as a way for a mirror to our inner world, potentially we can serve and understand what our deeper needs are, right? So if you go up to a mirror and you're like, oh my God, rather than saying, oh, I have a zit, I'm so ugly, I have to cover it up or I want to pick it, maybe the behavior change is, I have a zit, oh my gosh, I must be stressed. Why am I stressed? Yeah. So really using that as data points for our emotional uh, world. Our second product is True Grit Resilience Scrub, and it's an everyday exfoliator that has a chemical and physical exfoliator in it. And it really stands for the fact that friction leads to growth mindset. Um, And knowing Mm -hmm. that when we tap into our resilience, like those are opportunities, right, to like bounce back and continue forth. And that leads us to um, emotional maturity. Our third product is Self-Disclosure Intimacy Serum. We just won Vogue's um, first uh, awards for 
the best loops uh, for Amazing. multifunctional, which is very exciting. Um, so this is for post, pre and post um, sex discomfort alleviation. Um, this is also really about emotional intimacy and knowing that self-disclosure is actually the action behind intimacy, sharing your thoughts, feelings, stories, all those things with yourself and with other folks um, in order to create that closeness is really important to feel safe in your body and then safe to engage in pleasurable acts. Feeling pleasure is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. You really have to let go to let your body feel that. And so having those baby steps to doing that work is really incredibly important when there's so many brands out there that are like orgasm, orgasm, like splash emoji, mm. splash emoji, right? Like even that feels like a lot of pressure. Like what if you can't, right? So mm. practicing pleasure, practicing um, self-pleasure is really important. And then fourth, we have corrective experience comfort cream, and that's a sister to secure attachment. And corrective experiences are the action behind healing. Um, it's the ability to choose like a different uh, pathway in order to uh, and lower your defenses in order to stumble and potentially find a different way to move forward. And so every single product, as mentioned before, really embodies a psycho psychological concept because one of the first steps to self-awareness is, is expanding your emotional vocabulary. Wow. Okay. I love how considered this is. What are some milestones that you are like really proud of in the business that can just like help speak to and like help people understand where you are at in this kind of founder journey? Oh gosh. Well, one launching, Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a big milestone. <laughs> That's a big one. An idea can be an idea for a very long time. Yes. Right. And so what a, something that I've learned, and I've been doing this for three years, gosh, and we've been like out in the world for about two years is that one of the hardest things is, tur is turning ideas into action. There are a lot of people who do ideas. There's a lot of people who do action, but the ability to move it from that, those two phases in that middle, messy middle ground, whew, it's fucking mm -hmm. messy, right? Um, and so I think that's one of them actually launching because there's so many times where you're like, oh, I want to try to do this and try to do that. Trying is not actually action, right? Doing is the action. And so that is incredibly scary because I was like, oh, shit. I was like, what if this, like, what if no one gets it? What if no one can, like, see what we're attempting to do here in the world? Because it is very different and new. I think another milestone is that while we are, um, we are bootstrapped, I was able to raise about $1.5 in pre-seed funding. Um, you know, I've grown up, unfortunately, I think I've grown up, like I mentioned before, kid of refugees. And while I've been very high-functioning and um, ability to, like, you know, do big things in the world, there is that voice in my head, right? That's like, oh, you're not good enough or, oh, this is dumb or like, oh, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. um, and particularly around fundraising, you know, and you probably know the stats more than most people that I speak to, right? In terms of like last year, VC funding, total funding for females was 1.9%, which was down from the year beforehand. I and can't so like, believe it's dropping. It's, it, well, because it's all performative, like everything out there in the world, that's like, oh, women, BIPOC, this and that. It's mm -hmm. just, it's not real. It's all smoke and mirrors. And I think that was a big learning and a big milestone for me in that learning is that I had to fight brick for brick for that 1.5 million. I didn't go to, you know, I don't, I don't know celebrities. I don't know, you know, a lot of influencers. I'm like a person that came from like doing social, you know, doing mission oriented work at the White House and then making beautiful things and wanting to make that in the world. And so that was, I didn't, there was a day that I was like, I don't even think I can raise 
you know, a quarter of a million. And so to get to 1.5 million, I think helped prove to myself, like, actually you can do this. And even if shit and like obstacles pop up, like that's just another day in the books. Like you just Mm -hmm. keep punching walls down. And so I think those two pieces uh, are pretty, pretty big. And then I think um, actually another milestone um, was more recent. It was in March when I went to South by Southwest and I did a panel on ambition mental health and loneliness with a fast company. And, you know, prior to when I was doing this in the very beginning and still sometimes to this day, I'm like, what kind of founder do I want to be? You know? And it was like, I started this in the days of a girl boss, you know? And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not a girl boss. Like I'm barely Mm -hmm. a girl at this point. Like I'm like a tomboy, (laughs) you know, like what does this, what does this mean? And like that picture of perfection and body image and perfection is definitely something that I'm trying to I'm like a recovering perfectionist basically. And I was like, I really don't know. I don't even know what to do my, with my hands. Like, what do I do with them in my pictures and all that stuff? You know, like that's the kind of like uh-huh. awkward person that I am. <laughs> and so I think like getting over that and just like being my most vulnerable self and transparent about like who I am, how I'm showing up and knowing that I just don't have the answers. Going to South by Southwest was I think a culmination moment of like sitting up there on a bigger stage about and saying like, things I truly care about and truly believe in and how I'm building this business. And then having kind of like that, that really nice validation of like, yeah, fuck the shit out there. Like, thank you for doing the work that you're doing. And I think that was really powerful validation for me that like, I can be a messy person and that in itself is a powerful thing. Amazing. I want to like switch gears a little bit and talk about some tactical stuff that's been helping you as you've been growing the business and particularly around like marketing, you know, like this landscape, I say this all the time on the podcast, people who listen to every episode are like sick of this phrase, but the digital (laughs) landscape is shifting. Like things are so different to what they were pre pandemic. Like this is a totally different game. What is, what worked when you first kind of launched and what is working now in terms of like just getting new customers, like that top of funnel stuff? Oh my gosh. Not only is it shifting, it's shifting, shifting like incredibly quickly. So even like by the time I was launching to like what it is today is like a 360. So Mm -hmm. something that worked in the beginning was like, we did the influencer gifting. We've done all those pieces. We actually intentionally did ones that were like, traditional micro to like regular influencers, but then also like regular people, right? Because we yeah. are, we're very much around grassroots and like human people and not wanting to just put people on a pedestal just because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that was really helpful. The second thing is that we ran, we actually ran ads before we even launched around the business and the products <clears throat> in order to kind of like introduce and do a little bit of that testing pretty, pretty early on. Um, and that helped uh, garner a wait list of folks. Um, we did about 4,000 uh, within, I think, two weeks of a wait list because I think people were just hyper curious about the approach that we're doing. But, um, uh, so- I'm super curious about what the messaging was around that. If you don't have a product yet, are you? did you have like renders? Had you, did, did you have like a, sh- you know, a shoot? Like what were you showing? In we, the had a sh- we had a shoot. We had a shoot yeah. and then we um, were testing messaging. And so we're, I mean, we're constantly um, testing messaging because even today, like we have early adopters like you, like who are able to see that, right? Um, We have evangelists that were with, with, with us. And so, you know, like we've shown up in almost every futurist trend report, Mintel, breakout innovation, this and that, but that's early to the consumer, right? And so 
those are futurists that are looking at kind of like this macro and micro trends. And like, I actually called or like had a call with one of the futurists because I was like, I don't understand how trends work. Like we're everywhere. Like when do we hit mainstream? What does that mean? Yeah. So she sent me like a diagram. I was like, thank you for this diagram because I like literally don't know. But essentially what they're looking at are like these kind of like undercurrents of consumer movements and trends, right? That haven't met mainstream. They're very much on the fringes. And so in the beginning days, we were very much on the fringes. And so kind of like looking at that consumer trend as it's almost like a wave, right? And, you know, consumers are the ones that actually lead trends, whether they know it or not, between Mm -hmm. their buying behavior and attitudes. And then it's brands, then it's corporations, then it's like the uh, institutional pieces, like in our vertical, it's like medicine, right? And then it's governments, right? It's a very slow moving train, essentially. And so in the early days, we were very much early adopters. So being able to, we had like a first uh, customers roundtable, you know, and we invited uh, 10 of the first, or actually 20 of the first um, uh, customers to the table to have a conversation. Like what did they, you know, what piqued their interest? Why are they buying you know, what about this brand, you know, reached out to them enough to be like, I'm going to buy this. And it was really interesting because it helped validate some of the marketing personas that we, uh, in target demographic that we put together. And so we had like two millennials, two Gen Zs, and then a mom of a Gen Z, because that was like our tertiary um, Mm -hmm. kind of target. And so doing that work very early up was really important because I think it helped us understand like, what are the foundational pieces of this brand that that reach like the early adopters who have their radars out. And then how do we kind of layer on top of that, um, that messaging um, and weed out things that, uh, that don't work. So I don't even remember your original question because I was just going on a tangent. (laughs) No, that's super helpful. But like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious about like what worked in the early days in terms of marketing. So you've kind of like spoken about like getting those early adopters and, and sort of being really early in that trend. And then what is working now to like find new customers? Where are you, how are they finding you? Yeah. So we, you know, it's funny because we're still kind of in this, these nascent days of what we're doing. And so what we've seen work really, really well also is PR and having um, that messaging and storytelling around that brand awareness and the mission piece, right? It's very hard to understand a mission of a brand in an ad, right? Like when you're just like flipping through things. And so having a really great team that we're able to have these conversations um, and speak to, to like the thought leadership piece that we were talking about earlier about like, you know, the social mission piece has been really helpful. Um, the second piece of that is not only is it thought leadership, but we're really into third party validation. Um, and that is from whether it's editors to creators to um, even just like third party validators within what does the what are the who are the tastemakers of like Gen Z um, has been really, really helpful to for us because a lot of how people shop isn't based on necessarily like how cool the ad is or any of that stuff, they're going to go straight to the reviews. They're going to hear it from Mm -hmm. their friend. They're going to do those pieces. And so that's another, that's one piece. I think the second piece also is just going back to that junior advisory board, right? There's nothing more powerful than word of mouth and having your friend or your, you know, cousin tell you how great this product is. Um, And so I think those pieces have been really helpful to the brand. And then we layer on the ads. And then we layer on, you know, all those other pieces. Uh, and that's what we're in the middle of, right? So we just found another great, um, the ads 
landscape, as you probably know from a digital standpoint, have been really, really turned upside down on its head. And so there's a lot of testing within that. So we're, um, we found an ad agency that we'll be working with um, and then email marketing. So we're going to be working through kind of like, what are those flows? How do we do customer success and that retention piece? Cause that's incredibly important as well. So, you know, we're in still in the middle of like, what does that top of funnel look like as we grow on top of the things that we've already done? And so there's question marks there and I'm excited to report back when we have um, some data. Amazing. I'm so I'm just like scrolling your website now. And every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. You guys have done such a good job. Can you recommend and everyone just like go it's beselfmade.co like you've just nailed it. Can you recommend any graphic designers, web developers, photographers, anyone that helped to create this because it you've just it's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we target having about like 66% of our vendors and contractors be BIPOC folks and women. And so um, Garnish Studios, they're out of Brooklyn, I think Greenport or Pointer Williamsburg. Um, but Garnish Studios run by T. Lamb and he has an incredible small shop out there and he actually serves a lot of like beverage, CPG, mm-hmm. food uh, folks and just, just does a beautiful job and very easy to work with. Um, The other person I would suggest is Savannah Ruetti. We did our early shots with um, her and she's an independent uh, photographer that just like, if you want a vibe, she has a fucking vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, She's been really incredible to work with. And then from a product development standpoint, um, just because, you know, it's more than just the book by its cover, I guess, Mm -hmm. Uh, worked with Robin Watkins out of um, the LA area called Holistic Beauty Group. And, you know, working with her has been a treat. She's been in the beauty industry for about 25 years. And as a black woman, the higher and higher you get into beauty, the whiter and whiter it gets. And so her having such an amazing uh, reputation, but also she is very much like, this is what she wants to do is that mind-body connection and holistic, you know, well-being and beauty and how do we connect and create more intersectional ways to take care of ourselves um, so I would su- suggest those three folks. And if I have any more, I'll definitely send you a follow-up email because there's so many out there. Amazing. Are you on Shopify? We are on Shopify. Yep. And, but we're actually, I mean, that was a whole debacle as well, if you want to get into it. But we're on the, um, I think, the hydrogen because we were um, headless, I believe, for a bit. Yeah. Um, and so then they introduced um, hydrogen. So that's what we've been doing. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Once you make that switch onto Shopify, life just gets easier. I feel like it, um, like all of the integrations it's, yeah, it's the way to go. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to get off the website and look at you again because I'm getting lost (laughs) in how beautiful everything is. (laughs) Um, so the last thing I love to ask everyone is just for a recommendation. It could be like a book, a podcast, a habit that you have, just something that has been helping you as you've been up leveling as a leader and as a founder, and that you think that other people who want to, you know, if they want to go where you're going, that they should check out? Well, I would always recommend therapy <laughs> and executive coach. I've had an mm-hmm. executive coach for about a year who's come from um, fundraising, VC. How do you, you know, find business. them? Oh, my gosh. Well, again, word of mouth. And then mm. um, the executive coach, basically, I reached out to um, direct and just had a conversation with. Um, and 
they primarily serve like the top CEOs. And I said to them, well, if you're serving the top CEOs, they're most likely majority white and male. And so what about the rest of us? And he was like, Oof. I will uh, coach you pro bono. And I was like, I will take that. Yeah, <laughs> so good. I think being as much as a, as straightforward as possible of the need for help and vulnerability. And that is really key. Um, and then I guess a podcast that I love so much is called Hidden Brain um, by Shankar Vedantham. I don't know if you, you're familiar. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and it's just incredible to learn about how the brain works. He um, explores like persuasion. He explores, you know, uh, shame, all, all these things that happen on a daily basis with our own brains because we're all humans and how that affects the world. And so um, he actually also interviews like um, behavioral economists, right? And that's why I love what he does is because like, again, behavioral economists, the dollar, right, is such yeah. a powerful thing to move. And so being able to think like that and understand and expand my brain in that way has really helped me think about the business in a very unsiloed way. Incredible. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on to Female Founder World and for being just so upfront with all of your learnings and how you've been finding this journey. I've loved chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for making this space because I had no clue what I was doing. So hopefully you can pave the pathway for future folks. Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving this show and you are building a consumer CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences, and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.